Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your generosity towards us. I just pray today, Lord, you'll unleash that generosity within us and empower us to be able to be um, all that you've called us to be. Um, Spirit of God, we just ask that you would come meet with us. Um, thank you for receiving us just as we are this morning, but we ask that you do not leave us this way, that we will leave here transformed and conform to the image of your son, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're starting. Wow, I have hellfire literally <laughs> over my shoulder. I, I open my eyes. I'm like, this room is not the same color it was when I closed them. I think I put too many logs in. I'm actually baking hot and I've worn black. That was a decision I regret now. So cool. Um, we're going to be starting this series. Um, just we, Jesus. And the reason for that is in four days' time will be the anniversary of um, Je suis Charlie, uh, which is all about Charlie Hebdo and about the 12 people who were killed that day, they're murdered, their lives taken from them because of the offense of the statement they drew graphically. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the offense. Jesus called this hellfire behind me. It's really distracting. I see it glowing on your faces. Uh, we're going to be looking at the offence Jesus caused with some statements. The Jesuit statements of Christ. And now, Jesuit Charlie came about. The events kicked off. They were really disturbing. There was a logo created by a French art director called Joachim um, Ronson. And uh, it was adopted by millions to show solidarity with um, those who, who died tragically that day. Within two days of the atrocity, it became the biggest used hashtag ever in um, Jesuit Charlie. Biggest used hashtag ever. They literally broke Twitter um, and nothing has come close since. Not even the Kardashians have touched the greatness of Jesuit Charlie. And we identified with the, the wrongdoing, we identified with the, the tragedy, with those who were hurt. Uh, we identified ourselves with them by putting up this one um, statement. So with that in mind, we look at Jesus over these weeks and how he ate on eight occasions in John's Gospel, or seven, but there's a bonus ball, which is the eighth one. Um, but people generally talk about seven, but there is an eighth. <laughs> um, Jesus sound like the National Lottery today. Um, makes these grandiose claims, which end up getting him um, murdered because they were such a great offence. But the reason they were so offended was because um, the phrase he was using, they were kind of accusing him of plagiarism. Um, but we're going to see how actually um, they're wrong. So, if you're telling me in your Bible, if you have it, if not, don't worry. You can kind of tag along with us. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, what we have in the situation is we have a nation that have been in slavery for hundreds of years. And they've lost their identity. They don't really know who they are anymore. They know they're Hebrew and they know some of their backstory, but they, they've started to lose the belief in it and they've been crying out to God God has heard the cries of their suffering and their hardship and in chapter 3 we see Moses at this um, burning bush experience which we all kind of um, we all know about and we're all familiar with um, and we find this 
amazing conversation takes place. So Moses sees it in verse 3. I will turn aside to see this great sight by the bush that is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Pezrites, Lozavites, and even Hivites and Jezebites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought them, people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? This is telling. This is a hugely telling statement. Because he says, like, Well, that's great. Who am I to go? He feels inadequate. Who wouldn't? He's going to a superpower and knock on the door and say, Hey, let my people go. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. People don't let valuable resources slip like that it's it's a bad idea and so God just says I will be and with you and then the next part Moses wants to talk about is he says well great so let's say I even go forget to Pharaoh I go to your people to tell them about this to at least have some people on side Um, like what name do I give you what name do I give you that is so telling that is so telling has a people have a people who have been so badly beaten down after hundreds of years of slavery, has God's name and identity become ambiguous? Do they, have they forgotten who he is? Actually, have they forgotten who they are? Has his name been forgotten entirely? It's funny, some things in life can make you forget things. Some things happen to you that can be so traumatic, so painful, that you literally shut down. I remember this bullying talk at school. I remember this kid sitting there saying how everyone in the whole year had picked on him when his mum had um, breast cancer. And he thought he was going to lose his mum. And kids were slapping him, saying, no, you're not going to have a mum anymore. And I remember sitting in this room, and we're all facing him. The teacher made the desks all face each other, so we had to see the humanity in one another as we had the discussion. I remember sitting there and I couldn't even look this kid in the face because he said, everyone here except one bullied me. And I was so unbelievably ashamed. I couldn't look him in the eye. I couldn't even look at him. And then he said, except for Andrew Gray, I was the only one in the room who hadn't bullied him. But when I stuck up for him, everyone bullied me for years after that. And all those years later, I've been bullied so much, I've forgotten 
why it all started and where it all started. Because before I st stuck up for him, I was a popular kid. But when I challenged the status quo, I got beat down. And sometimes in life, when it beats you down, you forget who you are. And worse, worse than anything is when you forget who God is. Because when you remove God as the defining factor, you lose what defines you. Because when you remove God, everything in your life is a variable that can change and is up for grabs. Everything's up for grabs. Remove God, everything's up for grabs. Everything can be redefined by popular opinion and by the masses when you remove God. So they're in this situation and when you remove God, you don't know who your identity is. And so when Moses is saying this statement of, well, that's great, but who do I say? Who do I say sent me? Like, what is his name? What do I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And I remember looking at that and thinking like, what the heck is that about? So the name he gives him is a name we don't see before. So when he's introducing himself, he's introducing himself afresh and like in a completely different way. And then he tags on the end of it what they would recognize, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They knew that part of their story. But he introduced them as I am who I am. And like as I thought about that, like my mind was just kind of like completely blown by this, this statement that when Moses is asking, who do I say sent me so that they have something familiar, God doesn't give him common ground. He gives him something complete. He gives him a curveball. And then at the end of it, tags on something they might know. Now, there have been so many different rabbis and teachers down the generations that discussed and debated, what is this about? I am who I am. What is that about? Is it about... And, and so theologians say great things about the eternal perpetuating nature of God, that he is present in the past, here and now, and in the future, just as much in all of these, which is why he's called I am which is like totally what you want to hear when you're in slavery, right? Oh man, let's, let, let's just sit down together while we're beaten, murdered and raped and just discuss the eternal nature of God and how he's fully present in our suffering. That's your good news for me? That, that's the name you present? Oh mate, I can tell you where you can shove that name. That's how I'd be in the crowd. You can take that name, twist it, shine it up real nice. And you can shove it. But the rabbis say, the Hebrew people understood this very, very differently. It literally translates as, I will be what I will be. And when you think about that and how they interpreted that statement, they interpreted it this way. My nature will become evident by my actions. That's what they heard. My nature will become evident by my actions. Within their context and their time period, knowing the name of your God told you about an attribute and a characteristic of your God. But in this instance, God is saying to them, you want to know my name? You want to know who I am? Huh. I'm going to let you see who I am. You're going to see it by my actions. You're going to see by what I do in this story. And what does God do in this story? He takes a broken people, enslaved in their suffering, 
in their sin, but also in, in, in just the biggest hot mess they could be in where they can't be free to do anything. They're broken mentally, spiritually, emotionally, captive, held down and oppressed. It's here he's saying, you're going to know who I am. And you're going to, it's like you're going to rediscover this relationship all over again. You're going to get what God is all about. You're going to get who he is and what he's about. So in this story, what happens is they get delivered. They get taken from a place of slavery to freedom. And in their freedom, they meet at this mountain. And at this mountain, God gives them their instruction, their identity, their DNA, the law of God, we call it. But they saw it as his instruction, which is why the psalmist will say, we meditate on his instruction day and night, finding out who they are, who they're meant to be, what they're about in this life. And here, he has said to them in this slavery, you're going to find out who I am because I'm going to make it known by my actions. And the action he reveals to them is he reveals that he is a deliverer. And we have the Exodus story is a story of their deliverance from slavery into freedom. Now, Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 6 has been having a really fun time because he's fed 5,000 people. He's then set off, made his boys rush out into a storm. He's then walked on water and met them. Then the guys, the crowd have noticed Jesus in the bout in the morning. They're looking for him. They travel over to the other side. They're freaked out that Jesus is even there. They start having this discussion about the bread they ate yesterday. Because basically they're like, man, this guy's a free walking meal ticket. We've got to keep following this guy. Like, dang, that was, that was some good hovis. So they're following him after this. And then as they're talking all about this, Jesus is reminding them, oh, it's not about the bread you just ate. And then he reminds them of the story and the narrative because the passage we've been reading about was why they're in slavery. When they're set free, there are now a couple million people walking in a wilderness together and they have no source of provision for food and they're saying it'd be better to be back in Egypt and God provides this bread, manna from heaven, that comes down, sustains the entire people the whole time. The Jews and the Hebrew people wig out on this story for forever they have the bread of presence as a part of their artifacts, which if you don't know about that, check out on our website, the talk section, because in the artifact series, we did eight weeks on each artifact created after the Exodus story. And then there is the bread of life. So you can find out the bread of presence, which is why you can find out about kind of a bit more in depth what Jesus is talking about kind of here. And so then he reminds them saying, well, you need to understand something. The dudes who ate the manna are dead. They died. So big work. They ate the manna, they're dead. He says, but me, I will give you bread and you will eat this bread and you will live forevermore. And then they say, sir, give us this bread always. And then he said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He then leads on a conversation to get to a point where he says, at the end of the day, they have this discussion, they're not satisfied with this. He keeps on highlighting again and again, they ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And then he keeps highlighting, I'll give you a bread where you'll live forever. And then he gets to the point where he's like, you know what guys, you still don't get it. Let me break it down for you. He says, I am the bread of life. And he says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood and you will live forever. And these guys freak out. Jesus didn't have 12 disciples. He had way more than 12 disciples. He had 12 who were also apostles. 
and all the rest other than the 12 apostles leave him and then he turns to the 12 and he says to them are you guys going too and then Peter pipes up and says you hold the words of truth and life where else am I going to go you are the bread of life I believe that you are the one who will sustain I believe you are the one who gives us this renewed nature and so Jesus in this statement je suis bread of life I don't want to translate the rest because my French sucks but this one statement as he unleashes it he says something profound and in these eight statements he's going to keep on tying back to this one story making the statement I am because of one thing when God said I am who I am he was saying I will reveal who I am by my actions and who is he by his actions he's saviour he is saviour And when God comes in the flesh and blood, the very God who spoke at the burning bush, the very one who's making that statement, Jesus isn't doing plagiarism. He isn't abusing the commandment. He isn't claiming to be God in some false sense. He is God. He's the one who spoke out of the burning bush because he's the spoken word of God that John talks about. And when God said through the bush, I will reveal who I am by my actions, Jesus came with the name Yeshua, which means salvation. And so he's saying, you want to know who I am? I'm the one who delivered you out of Egypt. I'm the one who sustained you in the desert. It's my blood, not the blood of the lamb painted on the doorposts. I am the Passover. When they broke the bread, they broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you and for many. When they left him here and there, it was because what he said was heresy for how they interpreted the understanding, not knowing he was the very word spoken out of the bush. He was the very word speaking all things into being. He was the one who was there, who was present. He was the one delivering them out. He was the one giving them a new identity. He was the one who was revealing day by day who he is by his very nature. And in this first start to this new series, what God wants to say to you and to say to me is, I am who I will be. I will reveal myself to you as I am. You will know me by name, by my actions not separate in the lost in history thousands of years ago, but here and now you will discover me in your own life as your savior who will save you from the situation you face right here and right now, that I will deliver you, but not only deliver you, but I will meet with you in that place and I will give you a new identity and I will give you a new plan. And so as we start the series, Yes, We Jesus, we are talking about the ancient of days we are talking about jesus's statements which led to such great offense but the beauty we can find within the confounds of this offense is that today he wishes to reveal himself in the same way to us that today each and every one of us will have come with different baggage different situations we're facing different slaveries different captivity different mental oppression, different emotional oppression, different spiritual oppression, different challenges, different things missing from our hearts, dreams unfulfilled, failure eating away at our soul, guilt killing us from the inside, all of these things, this sense that what we are is not enough, this sense that who I am in my own skin that I can't be comfortable with, he wants to speak to us here And now, this morning, he wants to speak that he will reveal who he is because I am 
who and what I will be. He will reveal to you, he will reveal to me his very nature in the midst of our situation, our circumstance and our lives because just we, Jesus, he is salvation. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you meet with us this morning? You know every person here. You know where we have come from, who we are. You know where we are going. And you know, most of all, among all these things, you set us free. You save us to do good works. You know the plans that you have for us. You set them free from Egypt for them to become a nation centered around your instruction and your guidance to bring revolution to this earth. And they did. No poor person had ever had a day off until you instituted your law and you brought Sabbath and you brought rest. Maybe today some of us are come and we are weary and we are heavy laden. May we come to you. You are the Sabbath. You are Lord of the Sabbath. May you give us rest. Some of us are weighed down with guilt. Some of us are weighed down by our past. Some of us are weighed down by our present. Some of us are weighed down looking at our future thinking it's too big for us and it, it, it suffocates us from even stepping out because we're too afraid to achieve what we believe you've called us to. Lord, would you come and would you make yourself known because you are who you will be. I am who I am. Make yourself known to us. Liberate us this morning by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.